Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome back to What's the Word Downtown. I'm Matt. This I'm is Eric. Pastor Eric. Uh, we are here to discuss uh, the final teaching from Bethel Bible Downtown. Correct. On Ephesians this time around. Right. <laughs> it'll be profitable to look at it again. Yes, one day. And hopefully it'll <laughs> still be fresh. But yeah, we got to do our 15th sermon wow. in the book of Ephesians yeah. yesterday. And we've almost done a podcast for every sermon. Almost. almost. I think we missed one week. Things got a little crazy in there. but That's right. There's grace for that too. Praise God. So, armor of God after slaves and masters, after children's and parents and wives and husbands. Yeah. So we looked at a lot of relational dynamics and how the gospel plays out and frees us mm-hmm. to actually give Christ away, uh, whether no matter which dynamic, whether it's in the home or in the workplace or, uh, well, between parent and children. Uh, we, have, we looked at power differentials and how they yeah. exist everywhere in the old kingdom and Christ's uh, word upon us, the word of the gospel upon us, erases at least the uh, it, re- it doesn't erase power differentials, but it redeems power differentials. Would right. you say that? Yeah, it, I it think can it have that. Have you know what? It leads us to repentance. His kindness leads mm-hmm. us to repentance. We rethink our thinking about what is value, what is worth, and what is might. And so me looking at you as someone that I can get my way with, whether for uh, enjoyment goods, esteem, whatever, that's obliterated because you have all that you need in Christ. I have all that I need in Christ. And so it enables us to start looking at one another through redeemed eyes Mm. rather than through the eyes of a grasper Mm. that says, I need something. I can justify it, rationalize it. And you are merely a means to an end. And you're so dehumanized when you completely, I mean, that, that is the old kingdom way that is the way of the enemy to devalue our worth in one another's eyes only to the degree that we can get what we want out of every relationship well and that is spiritual warfare right which is i think not coincidentally or no actually hyper coincidentally sure why there is such an interest and an emphasis really in the last couple decades on the zombie genre right in the one hand, there is these sort of cinematic projects in which the hero gets to just sort of mass blow away these dehumanized people that are mm-hmm. in the way. Mm-hmm. And you sort of feel good to just get to annihilate a whole bunch of subhuman people that are in your way. But you realize, man, whoa, 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 whoa those were people. But it's compelling. And the fact is those movies keep getting made because they keep getting seen. Mm-hmm. And so... That view of one another really, in a sense, we're eating brains. Not it really. resonates, though. It but resonates it does because, with, because we're dehumanizing that's how we think of and people. we feel that way. Mm-hmm. We feel like we've been dehumanized and made less than by the majority of our relationships, maybe in the, the marital context or you know, parental or social workplace, whatever. We feel dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And so there is this spiritual warfare that what do we do when we're hurt? We turn around and hurt others. That's right. And so. Paul's conclusion to this church in the center of the Eastern Roman Empire, that which would survive, is to 
wage war relationally because that's where we're being attacked is relationally. I made the comment yesterday. It's not like spiritual warfare looks like, you know, Peter Chris from the band Kiss just looking. You didn't like have a, to tell me that, by the way. Of course. I know of who course. Peter Chris I mean, is. You're not the only one, hopefully, but maybe you are. Beth, Oh, come on. Okay, stop. You're right. No, you should actually keep going yeah. with that. No, we'll stop for now. But that's not it. I think those of us of a certain age and older were sort of bludgeoned and indoctrinated in the 80s and 90s with spiritual warfare was all these, you, know, you got to name the spirit that has mm. a geographic power <laughs> over your place and okay. they have assignments and all these things and it got really weird and freaky. And if someone took your parking so, this place... This sounds like Dungeons and Dragons, A little man. bit. Wait a minute, but it was kind of the part of the, of the evangelical culture that yeah. went a little bit crazy. And so if someone takes your parking place in front of James Avery at the mall, that yeah. was obviously a demon. Mm. No, it was just mm. someone who left earlier. Mm. And so we want to sort of reduce that nonsense, not to the extent that we forget about it entirely, because it's a real thing, but we don't want to overthink it. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't mention this yesterday, because time was of the essence, but C.S. Lewis famously said in his intro to the Screwtape Letters, there's two equal and opposite errors that the saint can enter into when it comes to the spirit realm. One is hyper superstition one is substition mm. one is overthinking it and overestimating their involvement and their power mm-hmm. one is underestimating and not thinking about i can power. see everything i can't see anything correct mm-hmm. and so he says in this wonderful little succinct way that c.s lewis could say things the devils hail the magician and the materialist with equal delight mm. so we have to be somewhere in the middle i think he's right mm-hmm. on that we don't want to overthink it. We don't want to assign and ascribe every yellow light in traffic to a demon. We also don't want to be materialistic to think that there's not something going on. There is a spiritual climate that is the thing under the thing. Well, Paul starts out with, finally, be strong, or rather, as you said, be mm. strengthened in the yeah. Lord. And it seems to me that the place to begin when we're talking about spiritual warfare, the place to begin is a proper assessment of your weakness. Yes. <laughs> right? To which, the end that which, you would be strengthened. Exactly right. Because if you're, weak, if you're weak, you're not going to be able uh, to discern spiritual warfare at hand. You're not going to understand it. You're going to, be, right. you're going to play the victim, uh, which will ultimately lead to some sort of uh, perpetration on your part, right? right? Because victims hurt people, hurt people. Of course. And so we got to get out of that. Paul is seeking to rapture us, as it were, out of that... Uh, tit-for-tat, transactional, relational Quid pro space. pro quo, yes. nonsense, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like we in the 21st century have to be shocked back to coherence and awareness. Somebody in Paul's day and age, they would not have been surprised by spiritual warfare. In fact, pretty much all Latin America, Asia, and Africa, they deal with the spiritual conflict on a normative mm-hmm. daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's us in the sort of the Greco-Roman Western postmodern postmodern mm-hmm. world, or really still coming out of modernity, sure. that think, ah, the spirit realm, that's that's not rational. It's not explainable by science. Can't and, see it. Right. And so what Paul seems to be saying is, if all you can see is all you can see, then you're not seeing. Mm. But imagine if you're a soldier who suddenly just find yourself, how did I get here? I'm in war. I didn't even know I was at war. Mm-hmm. You have no chance. You have to know that you are engaged in a battle 
and how to be actually armed and prepared for that, which is why he gives us this wonderful little ingredients to a casserole or elements of a molecule mm -hmm. that say this is how we are to wage war, and it's Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's all Christ. It's all the gospel. It's not these things that I have to go and try harder to do more to be better, mm -hmm. which, unfortunately, I think this passage has been misapplied for a very long time where people come out of this and they're told, hey, be strong, try harder, do more, be better, quit sucking at life. And so really, it's just a club that beats us upside the soul mm -hmm. and we walk out feeling worse than mm -hmm. before. And so, man, that's not Paul's prayer for these people. It's certainly not what we want to to bring to bear on this passage. It's an encouragement that the battle's being fought, not by us. We are to stand. The war is already over. And our defense is sure. Our defense one, is sure. One, psalm, one psalmist wrote, uh, our defense is sure. And he, before he ever begins to describe uh, the armor of God, he, he makes a distinction between uh, the battle you think you're fighting is not really the battle you're fighting. Right. That's right? exactly right. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another. You are not the enemy. I am not the enemy. That's we it. have an enemy that is the enemy of our souls and the enemy of, uh, of our unity. The enemy of our unity. When you talked about devil so that you can stand against the devil's schemes, mm. him using, Paul choosing to use devil, Diablo. Uh, I have heard, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have heard that Diablo is somewhere close to the etymology of to double. That is to say, when you said it shoots through, mm -hmm. that it separates. That when you when you have one thing and then you Diablo it, you double it, you shoot through it, and it creates two it things. And it divides what was our unity. Yeah. That's the strategy. He cannot divide the triune community of the Godhead. He knows right, that. Right. But what he can do is inflict damage. The battle's already lost. It's mm -hmm. kind of like when we, I say we, I wasn't there clearly. At yeah. D-Day, we go ashore and that was the turning point. But VE Day was not for 11 months after. Right. So the war is over, but the battles continue to be fought. It's a very similar thing. He's lost, mm -hmm. but he will inflict casualties where he can, which is on the people of the cross mm -hmm. who are not alert, who are vulnerable, who are distracted, who are weary. Mm -hmm. Old football coach Jimmy Johnson used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Mm -hmm. And so we live lives that make us fatigued, which makes us vulnerable, which makes us wounded, which makes us angry at one another. And we forget that the battle's won. The battle's because won. The, because it seems like the war is going on. The war within, the war without, the war around us, rumors of wars. Yeah. And we just, we just sort of uh, slink back into, if that's a word, just... We slouch, don't we? We mm -hmm. become we become weary, and, and uh, we slouch in what and uh, out of a victorious posture of standing in the finished work of Christ, and we start to look around for some piece of ground where there's a win for us, right? Rather than the ground that's already. And we think a win is circumstantial; mm. that things go well. Well, losses certainly are circumstantial. It seems right; they hit us continually. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. Death yes. of a thousand cuts. Right. We have a tendency to think that the devil comes after us by breaking a pipe under our house mm -hmm. or uh, a health issue or a relational or a financial, whatever. And maybe that is a part of it. But more often than not, he comes at us individually to wreck us personally. Because if he can do that, 
then that's a force multiplier, right? I mean, yeah. if I can get you to have a serious conflict with someone else in our congregation, then that is a wonderful engine of discord. And so that's what the devil does, is he wrecks us individually. Well, we used to, we used to talk and back in the men's group in, in New York City. I remember some of my earliest sort of formational days, we talked about uh, making agreements with the enemy. Mm. And, we ta- and, and it, was, it was somewhere around understanding that you have the mind of Christ yeah. so that when you have thoughts that are out of kilter with the mind of Christ, you have made an agreement with, a, with some other nefarious, uh, ultimately, uh, 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 you know, violent force against you and sure. your community. You make an agreement and then you're going to think thoughts and act out deeds based on agreements you made. You know, that, that really, if you'd have rebuked that, I, somebody said they were standing on a bridge one time and they heard the voice jump. And he said, you jump. That is to say, <laughs> that is to say, every like thought it. you have does not, it, it, the, the genesis of every thought you have is not uh, within you. Correct. Right? That's why in the desert, thoughts were played out like snakes, right? That right. weave their way in subtly into your mind. And before long, you've agreed with them mm-hmm. and you've taken the fruit of deceit. That's right. And this is why he says almost a, a, a doubling of stay alert with all perseverance mm. because the enemy is not weary. Mm-hmm. The enemy needs no caffeine. Mm. He's coming at us relentlessly. And look, here's the deal. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to take an arrow or three mm-hmm. all the time. That's why we need one another. To be, I need you standing there with your shield. You need me standing there with my shield. But when all of us are asleep on the line, and that's a horrific breach that seeds ground that the Lord has already won for us. Right. So it's not that we have to you know, charge the gates of hell with a water pistol or any of that nonsense. We stand. But that requires and involves us relationally knowing one another with transparency, with veracity and sincerity. It means all these ingredients that Paul talks about with truth and righteousness and peace and faith, all those things, that's the sphere of our existence. So like you've said, we're either being immersed, wrapped and clothed in those things or we're being wrapped and clothed and immersed in other things, mm-hmm. which is why, binary. Well, that's why we have to talk, right? Because if we don't talk, then I can't tell you agreements that I've made with the enemy that you can disabuse me of. Right. That's exactly right. There's a big, big place for verbal processing. Now, we're supposed mm-hmm. to prayerfully process. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about that in verse 18 and following. Sure. But there is a relational verbal processing that says, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm wrestling mm-hmm. with. And you hear that and you go, wow, then let me free you yes. of those tethers and, and bindings yeah. that are holding you down. Yeah. But that's because that's, you're helping me to stand. We had, a, we had a, uh, some friends one time. Well, we, we thought we were friends. I mean, I guess we were, but certainly not to the degree that, that these, uh, well, let me say this. Uh, they came to us in a group and said, uh, we're moving. I've got a new job. And we leave in two weeks. Now, this is people that we had met with for years. Right. And it was as if we were to stamp approval. Right. But we had we were not we were deprived of any of the processing 
that would yeah. have afforded them the very body of Christ that they right. needed, but right. believed that they didn't need. Long story or short. Or afraid it, what they would hear. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Long story short, uh, it didn't work out. Right. <laughs> you know, but, and I, I'm not happy about that, but I am, but it does serve to illustrate a point that we have one another to an end. We do. And if we are ever separated off from the flock or the herd, whatever mm-hmm. analogy you want to use, mm-hmm. that's when we're vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? And we get separated off and it does happen to us. It's not like it's never going to happen. It is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that separating off, that dividing happens. And I mentioned this yesterday, but it happens when the enemy shoots these fiery arrows that take one of two forms, this accusation or temptation. Mm-hmm. In temptation, he whispers to us that we're, more highly esteemed than we should be, an accusation that we're more lowly esteemed than we should be. We, mm-hmm. He either hides God's holiness or he hides God's love, and he mm-hmm. doesn't care which, whichever's effective, he'll keep firing. Yeah. And I hear those things, and you hear those things, and I will begin to believe them either way. Yeah. But what I need is the knowledge that Matt McGill is, in a lot of ways, the voice of my big brother, Jesus, who speaks truth over me. But I can't literally hear his voice, but I can hear yours. Mm-hmm. And you can hear mine. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are And the Holy Spirit other, gives you the the the, uh, the discernment to yep. know what is, uh, you know, BS coming from me Correct. and what is of the Lord. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And I have to And I need that. a place to be able to say things to you that aren't true. Correct. So that you can correct me. Correct. And I need to give you and others the freedom to say things to me that might not even be 100% accurate, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly way more healthier and helpful Mm -hmm. than the slings and the fiery arrows of the enemy. But I'm only going to hear those if I reduce myself to isolation and individualism. Mm -hmm. This Western rugged Marlboro man individualism, man, that is a brilliant scheme of the enemy Mm -hmm. to parse people off to say, hey, that... This person is an easy pickings. He's going to move on. But we cluster and we clump like cholesterol. Mm-hmm. We can hear true things, even if it's, you know, not the most refined theological doctrinal statement or articulation. We got to hear those things. And with persistence mm-hmm. that keeps us alert. A lot of the, the line. And it's one of the things about this passage that has always occurred. I remember hearing uh, a, a girl would talk about uh Friend, a friend of ours from the past would say her dad every day would she would wake up and before she went to school he would put on the helmet of Christ and then he would put around the belt and it was like he would sort of dress her yeah and which is what you said Paul does is to impute not to amputate and take off yeah. but to put on and that Paul is is uh, a ma- masterfully uh, eloquent at uh, speaking to the characteristic of God who calls things that are not as though they were, mm-hmm. putting on us, clothing us with his righteousness and forgiveness and hope and peace and all those good things that we want to cling to. Uh, and so one of the things about this armor of God, though, is that it can seem very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Your belt, your shield, your right. your mind of Christ, all of those things. But But we're already saved eternally. All of us have eternal security. But we have temporal warfare. That's right. And and this this armor, though it is given to us individually, it benefits us corporately. It's a group project. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I think that's... 
we like to say things on athletic t-shirts sure. that say one man army or all these kind of, mm-hmm. th- there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely injurious to implant that sort of ideology into a person because you're sending someone out to fight the legions mm-hmm. that are hate filled. I would never do that to my sons. Never send them out to fight in that way because I love them. So we want to continually remind people with the refrain of community. And again, community is the shared love of another. Mm-hmm. Not just being together, playing Twister, although that's awesome. It is the shared love that you and I have for another. Mm-hmm. That's authentic community. Yeah. So the correlating passage for all of this in Ephesians 6 is very succinctly Romans 13, 14, put on Christ. The interesting thing in Romans 13, 14 is the second phrase of that verse. Put on Christ and make no safe harbor or provision for the flesh. Mm. There's a a contrast. There's Mm. a comparison. I put on Christ or my default tendency, proclivity, and propensity is to create safe places for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. Or I put on Christ. And clearly it is a second person plural exhortation. We have to do that. And here's the deal. I'm not going to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And you won't either. Mm-hmm. So, so much is at stake, but this is what the church is called to. And then, he, and then he asks for prayer at the end. Yeah. Even the Apostle Paul needs their prayer. So in one sense, it's a brilliant leadership mechanism. Yeah. He's elevating and esteeming and dignifying and ennobling them. Hey, listen, you in Ephesus, though you once were all of those things... You are now saints in Christ at Ephesus. I covet your prayer. I need you to hold me up to the throne of God's grace with confidence. Which is a, in a, in a sense, uh, a, a physical manifestation of this spiritual truth he's just taught. Precisely. I get what I need, not in some, not from some conceptual, in some conceptual way, but I, in a, some abstract way, but I, I literally receive Christ from you. Help me to put it on. Remind me to put it on. The Apostle Paul is able to stand to the extent that the churches in Philippi, Colossae, and Ephesus stand. You and I are able to stand in a Mm. lot of ways to Mm. the extent that the people that love us and that we love stand as well. Mm. Their standing affords us the capacity to stand. Mm. So again, a lot is at stake. Yeah. Well... Thank you for your uh, tireless efforts in preaching this, <laughs> preaching through this, and working through this. It's been great. It's been a gift to us all. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Sunday morning at ten a.m. We got a lot going on. This oh Sunday. man, Mockingbird, Mockingbird is coming. Did weekend. you know that Mockingbird's I did, coming I this weekend? About it, so. Okay, looking forward to it uh, big time for sure. We'll see you at ten a.m. Sunday morning, guys. Thanks so much. God bless. Bye now.